Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wonky Cast. Uh, and what a couple of weeks it's been. Over the last six weeks, I've somehow managed to do three weekend-long conventions, which does mean that there's a whole load of interviews that will be coming over the next few weeks. We interviewed people along the lines of Jim Butcher and Sean Maguire and a whole bunch of other people. Um, so yes, keep an eye out on the website for those being released in the next couple of weeks. Uh, on this week's show, uh, we have the last of our interviews that we recorded at the Sci-Fi Weekender. This is the interview that I recorded with James Cosmo on the main stage on the Friday afternoon. Hopefully you will know James from movies such as Highlander and, of course, as uh, Lord Mormont from Game of Thrones. An absolutely wonderful guy and a wonderful interview. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to him. And uh, also, just before we get on with it, uh, a little bit of self-promotion. Uh, my... I've mentioned it before, there's an anthology of short stories called Killer Bees from Outer Space, uh, in which I have one of my own short stories, which is called Return to the Kingdom of the Shadow People. That's now available on Amazon for the princely sum of £2.35 of your English pence. So please go buy it, read it, let me know what you think. So without further ado, here is the complete interview with James Cosmo from this year's Sci-Fi Weekender. Enjoy. Good afternoon, Sci-Fi Weekender. <laughs> um, okay, so thank you very much for coming along again, folks, making the uh, intrepid trek across Mordor to get here. <laughs> All fun and games. So, and uh, our next guest is absolutely no stranger to harsh environments on both TV and film. Uh, we're moving away from the intrigue and politics of King's Landing up to the frozen wilds of the north. So please put your hands together and give a very warm welcome to Mr. James Cosmo. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, sir. Okay, before we get on to the inevitable Game of Thrones talk, yeah. I want to go back to what was probably one of my favorite films ever when I was growing up, and that was Highlander. Yeah. One of those films that when it came out at the time, it just captured your imagination. It was stunning. Only problem with it, the tagline, there should have been only one. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. So, can, can you share a bit of your experience on that amazing film? Well, it was, as, as you all know, it was quite a, a seminal piece of work because it was the first time that I can think of that um, they used a, a sort of a rock sound score to a historical piece, and it just worked so well. And Russell Mulcahy, the director, He's, he's an Australian guy, and he, he'd come from doing uh, early um, uh, pop videos and things. So the camera never stopped moving. You know, it had a wonderful sense of energy to it, and added to that wonderful fantasy idea that that young American had. It was just extraordinary. You know, it was set set in some of the most beautiful parts of Scotland, like Elan Donan Castle, where we came across the, the Long Causeway, 
with all the skeletons hanging in the, the baskets and things. It was just tremendous, you know, and uh, it, was, it was terribly exciting, and uh, we, had, we had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, we shot all the, uh, the battle scene in uh, Glencoe, which is, I don't know how many of you have been to Glencoe, but it is the most spectacular piece of uh, uh, country. Uh, and of course, it was extremely violent and bloody, but there is a, a, a clip of uh, me in a, a, a battle scene wielding this huge sword, chopping heads off and arms and things, and I suddenly stop and say, oh shit, I've cut my finger. Oh, fuck. <laughs> This little nick across, oh, stop, stop. <laughs> Some tough guy, yeah? Amy, what, what did you make of the, the, the interesting casting decisions in the film? Yeah, it was, it was very interesting, wasn't it? Because I always thought I'm an Egyptian. Been, there's been a mistake here, you know, in the early days. Because there was uh, Christoph Lambert saying, you know, I'm Conor McLeod uh, from Scotland. Uh, and, and, and Sean saying, I'm Don Jose from Spain. I thought maybe they, somebody just put them in the wrong envelope, you know? That, that might have worked, but you know what, with Sean, it doesn't matter because, you know, that's the way he is, but he's such a, a force of nature and he was such a wonderful film star that it was absolutely terrific. I loved it. Now, uh, another role that involved you uh, running around in a kilt a lot was uh, Braveheart. Yeah, yeah. How was it filming Braveheart? Well, that was, uh, I guess, you know, I'd, I'd done, you know, Highlander and, and various other things, but that was, that was a film that was a sort of career-changing moment, you know, when, when you suddenly get a part uh, offered to you like that. It was astonishing. And always remember, I'll tell you a funny story about how, not how I got the part, but um, uh, my wife and I, my wife just now and I had just got together, for, uh, we'd been, been together a couple of years and we had a little baby boy who's now 21 and he was only about eight months old or whatever. And I hadn't been working for ages, happens to actors, you know. So Annie, my wife, was working at the BBC and supporting us, so we, we didn't have any money at all or just getting by. And we lived in this tiny little one-bedroom flat in Twickenham. And the baby's in the, in the, in the bed with us. And uh, our weekly treat was to have a, a curry on a Saturday night. And uh, so this Saturday... I, 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 now, I had met Mel Gibson about two, three months before for this film that he was thinking that he might make at some point. So I'd met him very, very briefly, like a 10-minute meeting. And it got out of my head completely. <laughs> anyway, it comes, the curry arrives, and there's a good film on TV, and so we get, get the curry ready. 20 to 11 it was, and the phone rings. And I said to Annie, my wife, I said, Pet, I said, I'm just about to have my curry, you know, I'm watching the film, it's the treat of the week. Whoever it is, just say, I'll call them back tomorrow, or whatever, I don't want to talk to her. She said, sure, sure. She went over and she lifted the phone, and she said, Hello? Yes. Yes. She said, it's for you. I said, what are you doing? I just, I'm having a curry. I don't want to speak to anyone. 
She said, it's Mel Gibson. <laughs> and I said, oh yeah, yeah. And I thought, it's one of the guys in the pub, for sure. And I lifted it and I went, hello. Hey, Jimmy, it's Mel. I went, yeah. Who is it? He said, Mel Gibson. And then I suddenly went, oh my God. <laughs> and it was absolutely lovely. He said he'd been watching a showreel of mine. And uh, he said, uh, hey, Jimmy, do you want to come and play? Come and play Campbell. And I said, what, the father? And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, we'll age you up and uh, do the thing. And I said, oh, man, I'd love to. He said, great, see you next week. And that was it. I always remember that, 2211. That was a big phone call for me. So that was, that was, it was a wonderful start to it. And, you know, it took us about five months to make the movie. We shot about three weeks in Scotland, and then we all moved to Ireland uh, for tax reasons and things. And also they got the, the Irish army to work as extras for us, who were wonderful. Um, so it was, a, it was a long project, but I have to say, they looked after us wonderfully, and it was, it was a wonderful period of my life, you know, because I've got my baby boy, and I've got my wife, and I did this great film. It was beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's uh, a lot of horses, swords, kilts. Did you, did you have uh, any training in the horses to start with, or, or was that something that you knew already? Well, yeah, I, I guess, uh, you know, from the start of my career, you know, doing programs like The Borderers and, and various other things, I'd, I'd, through my career, I'd worked with horses a lot, you know, and I love riding, you know, I, I, I really adore it. And the, and the horses usually... Uh, film horses are, are usually from Spain, Andalusian ponies. They're beautifully schooled. They're absolutely bomb-proof. You know, they, nothing can shock them. You know, and uh, it was it was lovely. My little horse in Braveheart was called Orajitas, Little Ear, and he was he was like a, a Ferrari, you know, but with power brakes, and he really looked after me, you know. And by the end of that film, you can tell us when I leave the stage, my ass is actually saddle-shaped. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just loved it. And, you know, it's, it's every boy's fantasy, you know. You know, you, you play with sticks and things, you know. Hey, I'm grown up, and they've given me a sword and a horse, you know. <laughs> Go play. Um, so it was, it was wonderful. It was a dream come true, you know. Do you ever think that you might have been typecast at any particular point? Yeah, I, I, think, <laughs> I think every actor... Um, in movies, uh, because of your physicality, um, you do tend to be put into a category, uh, uh, and that's fine. You know that if, if, you know that that's the sort of work you do. You know, swords and sandals and riding horses and things. That's that 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 suits me. You know, but all I would say is that I've had a career of uh, 50 years this year. I've, I've been making movies, and I've never had a love scene. Aww. Not once. <laughs> and you know Game of Thrones, that we'll talk about in a little while? It's got sex wall to wall. <laughs> I'm the only guy that took an oath of celibacy.
but maybe that did the audience a favor. <laughs> well, we might as well get on to Game of Thrones. Um, so, the, the filming of Game of Thrones, where, where was it filmed for the, because the first season was somewhere different to the second. Yeah, I, I did the, we did the first season in Belfast, where they, they took over a big quarry and built Castle Black, and uh, that was, it was terrific. And then the second and third seasons, uh, we went to Iceland, which, you know, like, you don't usually go down to Thompson's and book your holiday to Iceland, you know, you, it's not a place that you would normally go to. But my goodness, I'd recommend you go there because it is the most extraordinary part of the world. You know, bitterly cold, covered in ice, but with these geysers going off and volcanic action. It's, it's surreal. And it, they couldn't have chosen anywhere better to portray beyond the wall than Iceland because you really do feel out there it's so elemental. You know, the cold is twice as cold as you could ever imagine. You know, you step out the truck and you can feel your beard starting to, unless you're a woman, uh, <laughs> or most women. Um, you, can, you can feel your beard start to crackle with the ice, you know? And if you sneeze, you know, the snot's an icicle before you know it. Um, so it was, it, it was extraordinary, you know, and, and so beautiful, but in a, a, not in a romantic way, just a surreal landscape. Um, beautiful people, uh, as I say, lovely countryside, don't eat the food. Um, rotted whale is not what it lives up to, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's disgusting. Anyway, um, but yes, it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, I think I heard you tell a story at another convention about a hot spa that you found. Yeah, we went, uh, it was actually um, the, the, the chef at the hotel, and he, he took me out, to a couple of us, and we, we went out onto a big snow-covered plateau, I suppose it was, and there was a cairn of rock, and he said, we, we go down here, and... Uh, we squeezed down this little cave, and I really had to squeeze, like, and got through, and we'd, we'd torches and things, and about 15 feet under the snowfield, where it was snowing and wind blowing, was an underground lake, and he said, now we swim, and we took our clothes off and swam in this water that was like hot bath water. It was quite extraordinary, swimming in the dark, underneath a blizzard. It was an, the most amazing experience. But all I can say is, if anything had touched my leg, I would have been dead. So just on with Game of Thrones. Um, were you aware of your character's fate going into the role? Um, no. Um, the way it works is you get contracted, I think you get contracted for five seasons or something, you know, or, or optioned. It's up to them whether they take it up or not, you know, they, you know it's, it's up to them. Um, and I deliberately hadn't read the books because I just wanted to work from the script that you're given. You know, it's just my preference in, in the way to work. Um, but uh, I, I do a lot of fly fishing over in the Northwest in America in uh, Oregon and Washington State. And uh, my fly fishing buddy, Bo, 
this old fat American guy, um, he started to read Game of Thrones, and he's, he's only read menus up until then. Um, <laughs> but he started to read Game of Thrones, and we'd be out fishing, you know, and you're, you're up to your waist in water, and in your waders, and you fly fishing away. And he'd shout down, hey, James, he said, just finished book one. Still there. <laughs> I thought, oh, terrific, terrific. So three months later or whatever, I go back and we're, we're fishing the Cowlitz River, fishing away. Hey, James, book two, still there. <laughs> and, and then uh, inevitably, he said, uh, hey, James, he said, I'm halfway through, through uh, book three. Uh, you ain't appeared yet. <laughs> so I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> But that was fine, you know. I think in Game of Thrones, three seasons is doing pretty well. Um, and I hear now that the actors read the scripts back to front, you know, just to see if I'm still there. <laughs> but I think it's a, it's a wonderful device to use, you know, to create characters and have, you know, you follow that character, whoever it is, and then, oh, they're dead. And it, it sort of reinvigorates your interest in the show, you know, because... You have to find someone else to follow or find out what their storyline is, you know? Um, so he's, he's very, very smart, George Martin, the way he writes. It's uh, terrific. And uh, I hear there's some great things on YouTube of people watching The Red Wedding that, that uh, haven't read the books, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, do, do you have any predictions of who might be going next in the series? Because mm. like yourself, I've, I've not read the book, so I kind of sit and watch them. And I'm you as aghast as everyone else what happens. I don't think anyone's got any idea except David Benioff and Dan Whites, you know, and George himself. It, it just could go anyway. Uh, and I think that's what's so exciting about it. It's wonderful. I'm sure we get a lot more Game of Thrones questions in a bit, but uh, one I did want to talk about is, uh, unfortunately, the, the fantasy world lost a, a bright star in Terry Pratchett the other week. Oh, and I know yeah. that uh, yeah. you, you played Arch-Chancellor Ridcully in uh, The Colour of Magic. Yeah. Can you tell yeah. us a bit about your experience on that? Because that was a very, very different role for you. Yeah, it was, it was such great fun playing. You know, I, I hadn't read any Terry Pratchett, and then when I read the script, I, I just loved it. You know, what, what a... What an inventive mind that man had. It was just extraordinary. And they actually, uh, uh, Vadim Jean, who directed it and produced it, um, they used a lot of animatronics, not too much um, CGI, you know? So, you know, when you saw the, what, the treasure box or whatever it was, get up and walk away, it actually did, you know? So that's, that was really exciting to do that and, and to to be part of that anarchic, strange, mad world that he created was an absolute joy for a few weeks. It was, it was terrific. And to work with Tim Curry, was, was, he's, he's a delightful man to, to meet and, and to work with. Okay, and uh, most recently, you, you've taken on a very, very interesting project, uh, which is uh, the Pyramid Texts. Yeah. Now, can you tell us a bit about that? Because it's, it's a very, very interesting idea. Yeah, the Pyramid Text, um, is a, a one-man film, it, it runs 98 minutes, and uh, it's, a, it's a monologue for 98 minutes of one man talking. Um, and it's about an old boxing trainer, and uh, 
at the start of the movie, you think it's, it's about a man talking about boxing. But very quickly, you, you find out that it's, it, it is set within the world of boxing, but the film is actually about love, loss, and fear, and faith. And it's in 50 years of, of uh, I've been making, as I said before, I've been making films for 50 years, and I think it's the best, it's the best work I've ever done. It's the best written piece I've ever been privileged to play. And uh, I'd love you all to tweet it and retweet it because- I was just saying, is, is that getting I'm, a release I'm in the so UK? proud of it. Yes, it's, um, it's uh, we're, we're doing um, uh, the Edinburgh Film Festival and then we'll, we'll get a theatrical release and uh, hope it does well, you know? And because one-man films don't, don't often work, you know? But um, I think, I really believe that this one does. And uh, I'd, love you all, I'd, I'd love you all to see it anyway, just to see what you think, you know? It's, um, uh, I'm very proud of it, and I'm very proud of the people that made it with me. So you say, yeah, 50 years of film and TV, right back to the start, is that, is that where you saw yourself going? Is that what you wanted to do? How, how did you come to, to the decision to be an actor? Um, <clears throat> I had a sort of dual upbringing. Um, I, was, I was born in Dumbarton in, in Scotland, and then I was raised in, in Clyde Bank, where Billy Connolly and, and all those lads were brought up, you know, and it was the shipyards. And... Uh, I was a, an utter idiot at school, and for the benefit of all, I left at the age of 15 and went to work in the ship breakers where they broke, the, broke down the old ships. And after about 18 months, I realized I really don't want to do this for the rest of my life because it's terribly hard work, and I'm just not cut out for it. Um, so I hitchhiked down to London and met my dad who lived down there, and... Uh, he introduced me to a, a lady director that he was working with at, at the time, and she offered me a part in the television show that she was doing uh, as a choir boy, would you believe? That's how long ago it was. And um, so that was, that was the start of it, you know, uh, the, the start of my sort of career. But, you know, as a young actor, you're, you're out of work a lot of the time. Um, but the one good thing about having to go and work in... You know, I preferred working as a laborer, you know, groundwork and all that sort of stuff, or working in bars or whatever. For an actor, it's actually, um, it's quite a good thing, you know, because it gives you life experience and you, you, you see characters that one day, subliminally, you'll use that, you know? Um, so instead of going to drama school, I, th I think the drama school of life can work just as well for actors, whichever way you come. But that's, that's the way I came to it. And, and also, I'm absolute rubbish at anything else. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, I think we'll put it out to the audience now. If anybody okay. would like any questions, then please just come up to the mic down here. Anybody to set us going? Come on, there's gotta be someone. Is he coming to us or is he going to the bar? Ah, oh, here we go, marvelous. Right. Uh, yes, what's it like filming a death scene, out of curiosity? Any I, specific I, I one? I remember it quite vividly. Uh, what, 
which death scene do I remember? In Game of Thrones, at least. Game, Game of Thrones, yeah. It was, um, you know, it's quite good fun. You know, like, you know you're going. They've said you're not going to be in the show. So if you're going to go out, you might as well go out, you know, in a bit of style. And the thing that I really liked about Lord Mormont was he, he was a man of dignity and honor and a very committed character. And uh, I think he went out doing the right thing, you know? Um, so it was, it was, it was fun. It was, uh, I enjoyed it, you know, and coughing up blood and all that all looks, you know, fantastic. Loved it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, what do you remember about the Nightmare Man? Nightmare Man. The Nightmare Man, yeah. Um, that was a, a, a BBC program. Uh, and, you know, long before anything else, uh, I, can you remember the, the writer of it? Uh, I think it was Robert Holmes uh, uh, adapted from a novel. Right. You know, it was, it, it, it was, uh, I worked with the lovely Celia Imry on it, and um, it was very, very clever, you know, because it was, it was about, you know, you think this monster has, has come to the Scottish island and is killing people, you know, but it's actually uh, a sort of cyborg uh, who's, who's come from Russia in a thing called a Vodinoi, I remember, and he's sort of half pilot, half machine, and his craft has, has crashed on the Scottish island. But it was very, very clever, and uh, I, I remember it fondly, but it was, it was way before its time. It was, it was a, yeah, it was a terrific piece of work. Thank you. You all right there? Yeah, good. Um, going back a while, Battle of Britain, Jamie. Yeah. Do you remember much about that? I make Air Force myself, so it's... Uh, Resonates a little bit for me. Yeah. All-time favorite films. Yeah, I um, uh, when they did uh, Battle of Britain, uh, Harry Saltzman and uh, Benny Fish, the two producers, um, uh, it was going to be the most expensive film ever. It was three and a half million pounds. Wouldn't pay the catering bill in some movies now. <laughs> but um, the the the. Of course, there was no special effects, you know, no CGI, nothing like that. So they brought in Spitfires and Hurricanes from all over the world, you know, like they flew over from Canada. And Spanish as well, wasn't it? That's right. The, the, the Spanish were using uh, Messerschmitts as training aircraft yeah, and right. things. And so they flew them all over. But it was, I forget what year it was, but it, it meant that some of the air aces, like Ginger Lacey, mm. um, were still relatively young men, you know? And I, I remember standing with uh, Ginger uh, on a, an airfield just near the White Cliffs of Dover. Is that Hawkins? It may well have been, yeah. Uh, my memory betrays me, but um, anyway, we were standing there and Ginger said, um, we used to go out for a jar at night. I don't know why we were buddies, but anyway, um, he was looking, and it, we did have the same long, hot summer while we were shooting Battle of Britain, the same as the real thing. And he said, you know what? He said, if it wasn't for that camera crew over there, he said it was just like it was in the old days. And like in a movie, on cue, we heard this noise of aircraft somewhere. And we were looking around, we couldn't see anything. 
And then from behind us, over the white cliffs, came three Spitfires in a V formation. And the lead man stayed on, and the other two went off and did victory rolls over the airfield. And both of us cried. It's an amazing sound, the Merlin, as well, isn't it? Fantastic. I know it's not quite science fiction, but say Battle of Britain's been my all-time favourite. 31 years I did in the mob, so... Yeah. Yeah. So, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Um, I actually have two questions. I'm yeah. Cheeky. Um, the first one, uh, in Game of Thrones, uh, is there anyone that you particularly regret you didn't get to do a scene with as character, sort of someone you think you could have had a, a great scene with? Uh, I'd like to work with Charlie Dance, uh, and I'd like to have had more scenes with Peter Dinklage. Yeah, because I think he's, he's, an ex he's an extraordinary actor, you know, to take on that role. And uh, it's, it's wonderful to see a, a, an, an actor of diminished stature, as, as they say now, too. And, and that, it's wonderful when you, when, you, when you look at someone's talent and that disappears. Yeah. And you just see a wonderful actor. And I think that's a, that's a great thing that he's done, you know? And he's also a very charming man and very, very warm. And uh, yes, I would like to have worked with Peter a lot more, but there you go. And a second question. Uh, as you said, you've never done any love scenes, which yeah. is a very big shame. Yeah. Uh, but if there was any leading lady that you could uh, do a love scene with, who would it be? Ah. <laughs> uh, You've got to remember, I'm of a certain age. <laughs> but Catherine Deneuve, oh my God. <laughs> that would be the one. That sounds a fine choice. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Hi. Hello. Uh, yeah, I'd just like to know if you had any historical uh, character you'd really like to play that you've not played previously. Um, there's, yeah, the... There's, a, there's a, 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 one of the founding fathers of America was a guy called Thomas Paine, uh, who was English. Um, and he's very much an unsung hero. You know, you, know, you hear of the, the, the Jeffersons and the Washingtons and, and, and all that, but Thomas Paine was um, probably the, the main driving force um, behind the whole American Revolution and, and the... Uh, uh, and the, the uh, effect that that had. Um, and he also was part of the French Revolution. Uh, and he lived such an extraordinary, extraordinary life and had so many adventures. And yet, as so often happens with great men, he was buried with just his wife and his landlady. And he's, he's not remembered too much. And I would love to make a film about him because he was a man of utter integrity and bravery. And uh, we should make more films about people like him. Thank you. Thank you. Hiya, James. Um, Hiya. I know you've been heavily involved in the Game of Thrones and George hasn't written the last book yet, but who do you think will win the Game of Thrones, in your opinion? That's quite a tough one. But I think it's going to be Jon Snow. Uh, I think he's a popular choice, like. <laughs> I think so. If he's still alive. <laughs> if he's still alive, exactly. <laughs> yeah, good answer. Yeah. Cheers. 
Well, fair play, thank you. Thank you very much. Anybody else? Oh, here we go. Hi. Um, it's a bit of a double question again. And I might make a fool of myself in front of all these people. I'm not going to say anything weird. But you were in Chronicles of Narnia. I was. Yes. Yeah. Just checking before I go down a... <laughs> good call, sir. Go good call. Um, did you... Um, w I realise it's only a smallish part. Yes, it was, yeah. Um, you know, not a huge amount of screen no. time, but did you do a lot of preparation for... I mean, how do you get into the mindset of Santa? Do you know what I mean? Is that yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the, I think um, what they wanted... Uh, that Father Christmas to be wasn't the, the sort of Coca-Cola version, you know, the sort of red and the, the funny red nose. He was a more elemental creature, you know. He was, he was of the earth. He represented the, the regeneration uh, of, 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 of the spring of, you know, now we're in the deep winter, but there's, it's, it's going to be okay, you know. And... Uh, I think that's what they wanted, and I, I just wanted to, uh, I, f I found it a really touching part to play. I felt really, really privileged, because I knew that so many children would be watching that. You know, it was, it was a big, big film, you know, and that you were representing not a religious character, um, but just a, a character of, of love and warmth and, and hope. You know, yeah, combined with cheerfulness. Well, I was going to say you. It was quite. It was the not sinister, but quite a, an imposing yes. image of Father Christmas, and he's yes. very serious. But yes, like you say, there is that kind of father. There's a very fatherly feel about him. Do you know what I mean? It's like yes, this, this domineering yeah. presence, but it's very yeah. kind. I'll tell you a story about um, <laughs> when I did um, after I'd done it. And it came out, and it had been out for about six months or something. And I was in Waitrose in Twickenham, near where I lived. And my beard was just like this, you know, yeah. just sort of short, not down here. And I was at the cheese counter, and I was looking at all these cheeses. And I became aware of a little girl of about eight standing next to me. Her mum must have been somewhere in the store, obviously. But she was just looking at me like that. And I sort of looked at her. And she said, uh, you're Father Christmas, aren't you? <laughs> and I, I looked at her and I went. <laughs> and she just went. <laughs> so now there's a, a young woman now that says, I am sure I met Father Christmas in Waitress. <laughs> <laughs> at the cheese counter. <laughs> um, the other thing I wanted to ask you was, yeah. um, of the death scene that we've mentioned, Game of Thrones, I mean, you've died quite a few times. It's oh, yeah. All, it's always disappointing, because you tend to be quite stoic, and I think I like those kind of characters, because you always, you're like, ah. Was that written in that you were going to fight back that aggressively, or was that just sort of the way you played it out? No, that's, that, that's, that's the way they wanted it. You know, they, they, they wanted people to think that Mormont, Might you, know, you know, nothing can kill this man. You no. know, he's so, 
you know, such a vital <laughs> character, you know, and then just do it, you know. So it was, it was quite specifically choreographed, yeah. But I think it worked really well. Were you disappointed that you didn't manage to do him in just before? I should have I killed him before I died. Of course I should, should. but there you are. <laughs> you can't have everything. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm going to ask a strange question about Braveheart. Uh, yeah. I was just wondering what was your most memorable bit that you remember out of all the making of Braveheart. Like, remember the scene when you were, your son was going to uh, burn because you've been injured and like everybody else that they'll hold you down. I was wondering if there's any funny moments you remember from making it. Yeah, well, funnily enough, that, that, that scene, I, I, sh I should have been given a, a writing credit on that film. It should have been Braveheart, written by Randall Wallace and James Cosmo. I'll tell you why. Because they had this... And the, the prop guys are amazing. You know, they, I don't know if you guys remember the part, but um, everyone's frightened to pull the arrow out of me because they know what's going to happen. And they've got this red-hot poker ready to stick into me, you see? And um, it looked so realistic. I was worried. I thought, is that okay? <laughs> anyway, um, it came to the bit, and uh, Mel said, so uh, when the arrow uh, comes out, he said, uh, shit, he said, what, what would you say, you know? And I, I went, uh, I said, that'll wake you up in the morning, boy. He went, that's the line. So I wrote that. And I'm, it's the only thing I've ever written, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. Out of interest, did you ever figure out what Mel Gibson had against the English at that point in his career? Against? Uh, against the English, because he did that, he did The Patriot, and he did Macbeth. Basically, a Absolutely. slew of films where he just killed thousands of English people. Well, I was just talking to some friends at the meet and greet earlier on today, and I, I was, uh, we were just talking that um, Bravehearts isn't uh, an anti-English film. It's uh, an anti-dictatorship film. It's a f and I think that's why it resonated so much around the world. It wasn't about uh, the Scots people hating the English, because the Scots people do not hate the English. They never have hated the English. But we all hate oppression, and we all need to protect our individual freedom. It's the most important thing we have in our lives, is our ability to be free and any uh, chipping away at that cannot be allowed. And I think it resonates now as it did then. You know, so it wasn't an anti-English film, it was an anti-oppression film. It was a film, like William Wallace said, about freedom, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Did you send the ravens to Lee? <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Someone dared me to do it. I've had a few drinks. That's sorry. all right. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favourite lines from it. I also like, if you, if you want to lead someday, learn how to follow. That's right. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. That's all I have to say. I don't have a question. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Well I've done. done it Thank now, you. sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. 
Hello. Um, oh, yeah. I've got a question about acting in general. So yeah. When you make your mates on, on, on set, yeah. and you go for a few jars, do you manage to keep in touch with them? So, do you manage to then go for a few jars with them a few, a few years down the line? Or is it something that just comes up every now and then? Yeah, I know, I know what you're saying. I, d I don't have many friends uh, that I see quite often that are in the acting fraternity. Um, but the great thing about actors or the profession is that, you know, you can work with someone one year and you strike up a friendship on the set and, you know, you, you're on location somewhere, so you hang out and you have dinner together and you have a couple of drinks together or whatever. And then you might not see them for five years and then you find yourself working on another film with them and you pick up that relationship right away again. Ah. You know, so it's, it's really nice to, uh, to think, oh, he's in that, oh, great, that'd be lovely to see him. So it's a nice way of, of uh, picking up friendships, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's the way it works. If, just so, uh, another question, if I may. Um, if, so, say, you know one of your friends working, as, um, say he's working in Los Angeles, yeah. and you know, you, you know you're working near Los Angeles, we then sort of try and meet up, or is it just a... No, oh, not if we, really. If we can, we can. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but as I say, I don't have that many friends that are actually in the business, you know? Yeah. Ah, oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Hi. If you could be in any movie that you haven't been in before, what movie would it be? Oh, goodness. My goodness, there's so many. You know what? It, I think it would have to be Star Wars, because I could make a fortune. Hi. Hi. I was interested to hear you say that there's one line that you've written, you reckon, yeah. there. Um, it's kind of a cliche that it seems that every actor wants to get onto the other side of the camera and do mm. like some kind of directing or producing job. Yeah. Are there any projects that you've sort of had bubbling away for a time that you've never had a chance to take forward? Um, I've sort of dabbled, uh, you know, uh, the. Um, I've, part of a production company that's, that's working and stuff. But, you know, after 50 years, you, you realize, you know what, I am what I am. I'm an actor, there's, there's nothing else I can be, you know? And there's people who, and you know, to be a director is, is so much more than, you know, I'm you're very privileged as an actor because you go on there, you've got this scene to play, you know? and you play it and hopefully you enjoy it and you do it well, hopefully. But for a director, that's, that's just the middle part of the process. He's been working in that for weeks, maybe months, working in that script, working on his ideas, and then after the filming's finished, he's got weeks or months sitting in a dark room with an editor, putting, grading it, cutting it, putting soundtracks on, it's such an intensive job, you know. I have got nothing but admiration for most directors and hatred for a few. But, um, <laughs> but, that sounds uh, like a story. Uh, mostly, I, I, um, I think I, I love being able to say, well, that's that. I'm off. Bye. <laughs> you know, good luck. <laughs> uh, Tom, very much. Thank you. 
Okay, I think that's about all we've got time for, folks. So thank you very much for your questions. Please, round of applause for Mr. James Cosmo. Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.